Well, what a gathering that we keep getting larger and larger. We're so excited about some things that are coming up here. And I want to tell you about uh, one of them in particular. And that has to do with May 16th. And on this date, uh, it's going to be a historic date. Uh, it's the first time in, in, far as I know, history of the church that we're going to ordain one of our own as a minister of the gospel. And uh, Nick uh, Spencer has been working on his academics for the last three, four years. And uh, we'll graduate uh, here just in a few days from a Moody Bible Institute. And uh, his course of study is focused on ministry and youth ministry and just a lot of general stuff that preachers need to know. And it's going to be our privilege to participate and be a part of this ordination service on May the 16th. What our intention is, if the weather cooperates, and in fact, whether the weather cooperates, we're still going to do it. We're going to have one big service on the 16th day of this month. If we can do it outside, that's what we're planning. And we kind of like, can you imagine about a year ago, this is what we were working on too. We, we wasn't too long ago we had a service outdoors, and people seem to really like that. So that's what, we're, what our goal is. But uh, either whether or not, indoor or outdoor, we're going to have one service that day. And so uh, the children's ministry will, will not be operating, but Andrea will be providing uh, busy bags and things for the kids as uh, we'll be outside or even inside if necessary. So mark that date and uh, keep it in your prayers uh, because this is, this is not every church, not every church has one of our own that we're sending out into the mission field. And that's, that's pretty, it's a really neat thing. Not just is it a reflection on Nick and his family and the, and the wonderful Christian people they are, but it's a reflection on, on the congregation that we recognize that as we get older, the next generation has got to be prepared to go out and preach the gospel just as we have been experiencing over our time. So I know you'll pray for Nick. I know he's looking forward to finishing a course of study that's taken him a while and and uh, it's been my privilege to work with him in that area. So if you have any questions, I'll, I'll be out in the lobby when we end up the service, and you can ask them. But otherwise, that's our intention. Of course, Mother's Day is coming next week. That'll be a big day also for us. So uh, keep that in mind as well. It really is cool that we're going to ordain Nick. Don't you think that? Is? It really is. I mean, when he was just a young kid, nobody ever thought that would ever happen, I don't think. You know, but uh, it's really neat to, to be able to share in that. All right, for the last month, we've been working our way through a series called Why? You know, and ultimately, we're talking about why believe. So many things in, that we do believe. Why believe about God? What do we believe about Jesus in the Bible and why? And we've covered a great deal of ground delving into history and science and archaeology and logic and theology and philosophy and all these things. We learn that Christianity is the world's largest faith and that it has stood up under scrutiny and challenge time and time again. So now we're at the end, and we have one last important, very big, very big question here, and that is, what now? Now, for most of us here who've been a Christian for a while. I would say, dare say, most all of us here have been Christians from from childhood. For us, some of this may seem, and maybe it has been kind of boring for you in a way, because we're talking about things that you think you already know and are familiar with. But what I want to encourage you to think about is that there's never a point in a Christian's life 
when you and I can ever get to, the, to where we're, we, we're here, we've landed, we think we've arrived, you can't, you'll not find that. As long as we're in the flesh, we have to deal with our humanity, our sins, our weaknesses, and we bring them all with us everywhere we go. And it's important that you understand that because this last message, yes, it's, it's geared to helping new people, new believers, get a grasp of their faith. But you and I can't afford to sit back and, and fold our arms and say, well, well this is not for, for me. I've been a Christian forever. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. You know, there are folks that I know personally, they've not made a lot of progress in their Christian life. See, it's one thing, you know, you're only young once, but you and I can be spiritually mature forever. And so I just want to encourage you today, especially listen I want you to ponder the way this message is going to end is with I'm going to lead you in a kind of a guided prayer. And and the words of that prayer are very, very important for you and I to be able to to offer to the Lord and do it in an honest and forthright manner. So this is kind of an interesting wrap-up thing, but I hope that you'll you'll still continue to see the, the focus of what it's all about is to be able to explain to people that we know why we follow Jesus of Nazareth. Why we love God. All right, let's say that this whole journey for you has been, oh, you started at a one or a two or a three, maybe on the belief scale. And now you're trying to decide what to do. You're going to move down the line to maybe whether you're an eight or a nine. Maybe you've learned some things that you didn't know as we've made this journey together. But you also may be reaching a point where, and some people I know, I talked to a couple of them, they said, now you're making me nervous though a little bit. Because I don't even know exactly how to, to make all this happen or what all this means, all these things we've talked about. So what I want to do is I want to talk about starting off with what does it mean to believe? What does it mean? It means the lights go out, right, when you're preaching. <laughs> but I have faith that they're back. Well, there's some things that it doesn't mean, and we need to understand that. It doesn't mean that you're going to have all your questions answered all the time in ways that satisfy you. Does that surprise you? Have you lived long enough to know that, that we don't get all of our questions answered? There are unusual things and, and sad things and, and things that just defy our understanding of what God's up to sometimes. By the way, that's why we call it faith. Because if, if, if we don't have faith, it's a, it, faith is a whole soul trust that God knows what he's doing. Even when we can't figure things out from our side. Whenever we make a decision about something, most of us want to be sure, absolutely sure. But, you know, that's not always possible, is it? You know what would happen spiritually, don't you? The problem is we're talking about God. And there's no way you and I can get every question about him answered. For if we could, if we could even fathom everything about God then he would be no bigger than just our intellect. And I can tell you, I'm from Kentucky. That's not a big deep, it's not a big gift there, you know? So, and by the way, that would also be a very small God. The creator God of the Bible will always be larger than our intellect because he's way beyond finite human beings like us. So the goal isn't to get every question answered but to get enough answers. Now hear me. You need enough answers. It's like it is in a court of law. 
you'll hear them say someone is guilty or someone is innocent beyond any reasonable doubt. Not beyond any doubt, but any reasonable doubt. And besides that, the Christian walks by faith, as I've said, not just by sight. So the line of faith can be reasonably and responsibly crossed. You know, to be honest, the reason I'm not a secular, humanist, atheist, you want to know what the reason is? I don't have enough faith. I do not have enough faith to believe that this complex and intricate and, and just I mean, amazingly designed world in which we live, the people in it, the things that are in it, I don't have enough faith to think that all just happened by accident. An intricate, complex design always calls for a designer. Whether it's some beautiful thing we see in nature, or when you look in the mirror every single day at yourself. So let's say that beyond the reasonable doubt, you're, you're past that stage. And, but let's say you've got some lingering questions still about some things. And like the rest of us, you're, 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 you're much more of a believer than a non-believer. So, so what now? That's the whole idea of this message. What's next? Well, first of all, the next step is to realize that merely believing is where a relationship with Jesus Christ starts. That's the beginning. That's, that's, the, that's the zero, ground zero here. But it's not where it ends. Because if you stop with just believing, there's a lot of people I know. I have neighbors. They believe in, in God in some, some way. But not on a personal level. And if you just get to that believing level, you've only come to the point of an intellectual agreement. That, okay, I agree with you that there, there's got to be a God. And believing that the Bible is his word and so on. Uh, believing that Jesus was who he said he was. God himself in human form. And he came to earth to show us how we could be in a relationship with him. All this is, is Christianity 101, okay? But it's not enough to just agree with that. And here's why. Because in the New Testament book of James, chapter 2, verse 19, we find these words, scary words. You believe that there's one God? That's good. Even the demons believe and shudder. There's something more called for here. Because that's kind of unnerving when you think about it. Even the demons know God exists. And they know the Bible is revelation to us. And they know exactly who Jesus is. I guarantee it. In fact, look at this encounter between a demon and Jesus recorded in Luke 4, verse 31 and follow. Listen to this. Then Jesus went down to Capernaum, town of Galilee, and on the Sabbath he began to teach the people. And they were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority to it. In the synagogue, though, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, and he cried out at the top of his voice, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus sternly said, Be quiet. Come out of him. And the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. And don't you know, all the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. There is not one single demon in the spiritual realm that's an atheist. They know 
that these things we've been talking about are true. There isn't a single demon who doesn't believe. Which means that just believing, just kind of floating with the truth here and accepting it as truth is still not enough. It's where you begin. But it's not where we want to end. Genuine belief has got to go deeper. And it involves your and my inner world. The thoughts that we have. The ideas that we think about. Who we are as persons. and Because you and I can know something and yet never have it impact our life. Which is why the kind of belief the Bible calls for is much more than just informational. You know, it's always bothered me because I'm a teacher at heart. And I, I, I guess I impart a lot of information. I give you lots of things, the facts and information from the Bible. But it's always bothered me that the kind of belief that God is after from us is a whole lot more than just head knowledge. It has to do with an intimate, experiential kind of relationship. In fact, let me show you how intense this picture is. The word believe in the original Greek is a word gnosko, and that word refers to really, really knowing something or someone. In fact, the Bible would use this word to describe, and it does use it, to describe whether a man knew a woman or not. The kind of intimate knowledge that would come in marriage. The kind of intimacy of knowing and doing and believing and relating with God. It's much, much more than just up here. It's a whole soul, whole body, whole mind connection with God. Now, now you think about that a minute. I was looking at this and I was thinking, I don't know how many times in my life I've ever thought of it that way or ever considered that my relationship to God should be to that level of intimacy and depth. But that's the word that's used here. So what happens is, what we do next, and this is important, we've got to cross a line. If your belief is going to mean anything, then you must knowingly and purposefully act on your belief in ways that place you and lead you to a relationship with God through Christ. Now, how do you do this? It begins by you and me owning and understanding that we're probably not in that kind of relationship right now. It forces us to be honest. Why are you here at church today? Is this your tradition on Sundays? Have you always come to church because well, your family always went to church? You know, I wouldn't be a Christian today if my mom and dad hadn't gone to church. I'm grateful for that. But why are you here today? And you may not want to think about that. In fact, if your, your relationship with God, maybe all of us, may need some relational repair. One of the things I hope comes out of this series is not just that people that are visiting. It's interesting, most folks that come to first service I mean, you guys are the kind of the core. You know, this is the heart of the church. You know, the second service, we have a different mix. Always have. And it seems like there's always people in the second service that are checking things out. You know, and then, you know, they kind of, they think church is a good idea, but they, they're not necessarily bought into the whole thing. And we happen to live in a culture that's pressing on them all the time, but none of this stuff is true. So we have, you know, the idea that of owning 
that we, you know, God, we're not with you as close as we'd like everybody else to think that we are. You know, that kind of honesty. And talk to him about it. Our relationship with God needs constant regard and maintenance, if you please. That may not be the right word, but I think it has merit. Especially if it's broken. Is your relationship with God broken today? Usually it's caused by sin or bad choices you've made in your life. I mean, can you own that? Can you hear it, sit here, listen to a message like you always do? But can you own that, that there's something God, God is saying to you today through this that's pointed right at where you are with him? Not the relationship with everybody else. You know, most of the time we can't get along with everybody else anyway. I mean, we have friends and so on. But the reason we struggle in relationships with humans is because we're, we're not 100% connected to our relationship with God. And he's more than interested in it. This brokenness, if it's not dealt with, will break you. It's having the deepest part of who you are to be grieved when you sin. To be sorry over the sin choices that you and I have made in our life. And the word in the Bible for that is called repentance. When was the last time? How often in the course of a week? Do you just stop and drop or whatever and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm really, you know, you know I need to, to ask your forgiveness. The attitude wasn't good or my response wasn't good or my interest levels or my distractions, the things I watch, the things I get upset about. None of those things are very good. And so, God, forgive me. I need your strength. You need to have a sense of being willing to turn away from some things maybe we're doing in our life that we shouldn't and then turn towards him and how he wants us to live because and there's always a good because here here's why we do this because you now understand as you've been listening how much your attitudes and your behaviors can be wrong and hurtful in the relationship you want with the lord and with that realization what happens is then you ask one of the reasons we come each week to do this It's not just to sit and enjoy and worship. It's for us to do some house cleaning and to take a look at things in our life and ask to receive Jesus in a fresh and new way and thank him. Thank him for what he did on the cross, which was to step in and take your place and my place and pay that price of this sin through his death. By the way, sometimes we need to do this because it really hasn't clicked with us and it's never really sunk in that the cross that Jesus died on was my cross, was your cross. Had your name on it. The Bible says the wages of sin are death. And it's what sin creates, what it earns, if you please. But Jesus stepped in. This is, this is the gospel. This is the good news. Jesus stepped in and took our place. And as a result, we have peace and we can have joy and we can live an authentic life because it's no longer us that's living. It is Jesus Christ who lives, it, as we say, in us and through us. We can't pull it off. Many, many, many a church has left a black eye on their community because they've been trying to fix themselves on their own. It cannot be done. So, 
as simple as it sounds, and again, I'm asking you to imagine this, not just as someone who's not a believer yet, but I'm asking you to ponder this as Christians who have you've professed belief. You many of you have faithfully committed to the Lord and to this church. But that doesn't mean that Satan just kind of backs off as if he's scared to death of us. Because he's not. What I'm fearful of, and I guess as I get older it's more and more, is that we take too much for granted. The Bible says that if you will, if you will come to Christ and pray and ask him to come into your heart, he will. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's happened in your life or whether you've lived everything up just perfectly to the present time. It doesn't mean that. Everyone who calls on him. And you know what that means? Even Christians, veterans of Christianity, been a Christian all your life. We still need to take fresh looks at these issues with very, very fresh eyes. And that our hearts would be open. By the way, you don't have to worry about the prayer as far as the answer to it. Because before you pray that prayer, God's already heard it and knows your heart. But there is something, though, that does have to be taken into consideration. Before you pray that prayer, you have to realize what it means. It's a word called lordship. Today, this moment, who really is the Lord of what you do and what you think, how you perceive, how you evaluate? Who really is the Lord of all those things? I mean, who do you run it by before you decide to just go off and do whatever you want to do? Christianity is not fire insurance. It's not just getting heaven all signed and sealed and delivered. It's not just about forgiveness. It's about newness. It's about freshness. It's about new life. And I think that probably, as I'm thinking about it at my age, and I look back, that is the danger sometimes of handling sacred things for so long, as some of us have done, that we take them for granted. And now we've got to be faced with, well, I've got to fix this. How do I do this? How, what, is, what kind of changes is Jesus going to ask of me? I want to read you a letter. And I thought this was so neat. This was before, before a guy got married, okay? He wrote this, this letter. He said, there was a moment. Why don't you listen to this? There was a moment just before I got engaged where I thought to myself, what in the world am I doing? Have you ever been there? You can't look at your spouse when you answer that. Because in that moment, he said, I thought of all the things I'd be giving up or changing forever. Like dating. I mean, dating was the best. Never again would I be able to see an attractive, appealing woman and have the freedom to pursue the relationship. Once married, I would probably have to fold my underwear. (laughs) Screw the top back on the toothpaste and put my dirty clothes in a basket and spend my weekend going to fabric stores. I thought I wouldn't be able to go out with my friends and stay out all night or take off on a fishing trip. Marriage was like for life. At least I knew that was the way that it was supposed to be. So for a moment, just a moment, I remember panicking and becoming very unsure about whether this was the smart thing to do. But that was over 30 years ago. And now I think to myself, what an idiot. 
You mean I was worried about what I would have lost. But what was I thinking? Because now I know what I've gained. Now I cannot imagine life apart from my wife. What I have experienced over the years of my marriage far outweighs anything I may have imagined I was going to sacrifice by entering into that commitment. I'm not less of a person. I'm more of a person. I don't have less of a life. I've got more of a life. My wife, my children, my grandchildren, our love, our relationships, our memories, our support, our encouragement, our loyalty, our laughter is the joy of my life. And then he said... Did it take a commitment for me to experience all that? Absolutely. First, I had to stop dating other women. But it wasn't about what I lost. It was about what I gained. So you see, there's something about this commitment, this spiritual commitment, that's a life changer. But you know, it's also something that needs to be renewed. I'm going to Cleveland, Ohio at the end of uh, this month, and I'm going to do a, uh, not, not because of David, but uh, <laughs> he wants to go, he can. But uh, we're going there. There's a couple that lives in Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, years ago I married them, and uh, they have gone through some wild adventures since then, and not to mention many children. They have quite a, quite a crew. All of them think I'm their grandfather, all the little ones. And, uh, and I'm old enough to be that, I guess. But the reason we're primarily going up there is to spend some time with them and to renew their wedding vows. That's what they've asked me to do. And I'm going to do it with great joy because I've seen how God has changed the life, especially of the husband, because he was the one I was closer to. And uh, how God blessed this young man with a wonderful wife and wonderful family his whole life transformed because of Jesus Christ. Absolutely and only. It was not the path he was traveling, was going to travel. But it's going to be neat to be able to do that. Now, maybe it's time for you to renew your vows. We are called the bride of Christ. Y'all know that? Maybe it's time for us to take another look at whether how often we have followed through as the bride Maybe the church needs to take some hard looks at where we are and our values and our attitudes, especially with all the changes going on around us. And, and there's more coming. You'll see a lot of changes in things over the next two years here at Maple Grove. There's going to be, and I think they're good changes. They're necessary changes because you have to change. You have to see. You have to get in touch with the wind that God is blowing. You know, Because the way you set your sail determines where you're going to be. But the biggest question I think sometimes people worry about is this one. Well, can I keep the commitment? And I would say to you that people, it's not like going on a diet. I don't even try anymore. I mean, why? This is about relationship. It's far more important. It's about doing life with God. Christianity isn't about committing and following through. Commitment is a noble effort, and Christians are called to deeply, deeply be committed. But that's not what becoming a Christian is all about. And it's not the heart of what being a Christian is all about. Because when it comes to the Christian life, here's a big news flash. God already knows we can't honor and keep these commitments all the time. Why? Because we're in the flesh. We're humans. We have a sin nature. It's hard. It's difficult for us to be good, if you want to call it that. Nobody can follow 
carefully and thoroughly all the way, 100%. Nobody can. It's what it took to become a Christian. I mean, if that's what it did take to become a Christian and stay a Christian, nobody would be a Christian. Some of you may already be frustrated in your life at the way that's worked out for you. Because we all fail. All Christians do. But the Bible says, now hear me, the Bible says to come just as you are and receive God. His gift of personal relationship and then let God resume or maybe begin afresh the transformational process. God knows we're going to make mistakes. He just wants you to let him start where you are with the goal of little by little becoming more and more like Jesus. More and more all the time. Maybe five years from now you'll be more like Jesus than five years before and on and on and on it goes. Now there's two things that are left here. Now what would happen at this point, especially in the second hour when we have so many other folks that will be here. Uh, two things that, you know, if you're willing to, there's a prayer that needs to be prayed. The Bible talks about how we, we begin this process of letting Jesus know that we want him to be Lord. And then there's a, 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 an, active, an action you have to take about going public with it. So going public means this. We offer that prayer. We ask God essentially to, you know, hear our prayer and we're sorry and we agree with him that we have sinned. And it's a daily, I think it's a daily repentance. I think we need to get up every morning and just say, okay, Lord, it's a new day here. I really made a mess of yesterday. I got a new day. Thank you for it. And, and that's really cool to get to go through. Matthew says in Matthew 32, 33, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. You see, Jesus asked every one of us to, who comes to him, to go public for him. And primarily what that means, scripturally, is baptism. And I would assume that most everyone in this room has been immersed. I don't know that that's true, but I believe it is. Many of you, I have baptized you myself. But when you're talking to people that are trying to, and we have some, and I've been visiting with, there are people that are interested in how to become a Christian. And we're going to go through these things with them in the second hour. But maybe somebody here needs to do this as well. Acts 2.38 says, You repent and you're baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, your children, and all of you left far off, for all who the Lord our God will call. And those who accepted this message, the Bible says, were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number. And so what I'm going to do in the second hour is I'm going to actually read a prayer and encourage these folks to make this prayer their own because they may never have done it before. They may never have. You know, we, we got the baptism thing down pretty good, I think. Acts 2, 22, 16, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized, wash away your sins and call on his name. I mean, that's pretty much an invitation that we get every single week. But the prayer... And I'm going to go ahead and go through this, if you don't mind. We're a little over time, but I want to go ahead and do it. You bow your heads. Let's just, let's just, let's just practice this. Let's just bow your heads where you are, all right? Because this needs to be your prayer. I'm going to lead it. Close your eyes. Don't look around. And you begin by saying to God, Oh, Father, I need you. 
I've been living in a way that does not honor you all the way, all the time, in the way you deserve. I acknowledge I'm a sinner and I need salvation. And you just kind of put that in your own words and offer it to the Lord right where you are. Then tell him you want to be forgiven for those sins. That you want a clean slate, a new beginning. You need to start over. Even if you need to start over every morning. And then you tell him you want his leadership in your life. That you not only want him to be, be your forgiver, everybody wants that, but you, you want him to be your leader. You invite his day-in, day-out management of your life and affairs. That, that you want to find out how he wants you to live. And then you live that way under his direction. And then by faith you thank him. You thank him for forgiving you, for the leadership he's going to give you in your life. And Father, I would add as we close this prayer and this service, thank you so much, Father, for providing the way for us to come to you. Thank you so much for those who just, you know, even in this room, decided that, hey, I needed to hear this today. It's fresh and it's, it's a reminder in it. And, and, and there's things that have crowded you out, Lord, in our life. And I, I want to make that right. I need your help to do it. So, Lord, I just pray as we close out that you'll watch over the people here and that you'll help them leave today, not just with the recognition they've done a good thing by being in church on Sunday morning. I pray that no one will leave their church today patting themselves on the back. I pray that we'll leave the church thinking, even as we go homeward, why now? Why this time? Why did this moment and this message come together in my life right right now? And Lord, I pray they'll talk to you about that. And that the new things, because you make all things new, every single day, every moment, can be made new by you. Old things pass away. All things can become new. When you are driving our lives. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.